Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's Heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here at A Better Way to Farm. Excited to come with you. It's day nine. Merry Christmas on the 12 Days of Nutrients. We're going to look at iron. You know, our goal here is to improve the knowledge base, improve yield, improve profits on each and every farm. First, I want to say thank you to a whole bunch of you who have reached out as a result of what we're doing here. I love talking to new people. We've had calls 641-919-1206. As we dive off here into iron, let's talk about what it does first. We know that it promotes the formation of chlorophyll. Although it's not a part of chlorophyll, it promotes it. It acts as an oxygen carrier, and it's involved in reactions involving cell division and growth. Iron is a nutrient that we do not want to be short in in any form or fashion. As we look at some of the things, that we're going to talk about what makes it unavailable and what we can do about it. First of all, in the agronomy handbook from Midwest Labs, what do they have to say about iron in here? They've got some short definitions, but I... I like to use them because they're really good and they're pretty impactful. Iron availability will decrease as your pH increases. Iron chlorosis often develops on field crops that is a result of a high pH. High levels of phosphorus in conjunction with iron will form insoluble iron phosphate compounds and may induce an iron deficiency. Guys, when we think we're doing a hot deal here, when we're running them P1 tests up to 8,500, 105 parts per million, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves bad because one of the many things that it does is that phosphorus will tie up with iron. And when we make that iron phosphate compound, neither one of them are available. Iron is not easily leached from the soil under normal conditions. And so we don't have to worry too much about that. However, we can have poor aeration, which restricts root growth. And that will cause some unfavorable conditions for uptake so we can get ourselves in a jam there. New book that I've been working on here, it's called Echo Farming. It's by Charles Walters. There was two things in here that I found exceedingly interesting today. Well, there's a lot of things, but in regards to iron, iron is what scientists call a microelement. Although it figures in the formation of chlorophyll, it is not a part of the chlorophyll molecule. It is part of the plant. However, it is expressed in terms of part per million. Plants ashed out will test as little as 10 parts per million and sometimes as much as 2,000 parts per million. When iron is missing in the nutrient uptake, chlorophyll production for greater photosynthesis will be punished. Whiten young leaves and the white and dark stripes of a magnesium deficiency may also bespeak of an iron problem. In other words, iron and magnesium deficiencies can present the same. My experience indicates that magnesium favors a little more towards the yellow, and the iron may start yellow, but will very quickly go to white. And so that's a, a little difference there in that. But obviously, when we see a problem, we want a tissue test and nail it down. I've talked so much about all the different nutrients, and I'm going to go ahead and share this particular deal. No charge for this extra tip here. Azobacter, which is a nitrogen-fixing, non-symbiotic microorganism, has to have moly and a quality supply of zinc or it won't sustain life. It will not sustain its life process in the soil. Once again, tying them all together, guys, it's important that we make sure that we have all of the nutrients that we need. I'm going to come back and hit on that. they got some more stuff in there on manganese and zinc and how important they are. But we just keep relearning how it is that we've got to tie 
all of these things together. That if we don't have the right things in there, then we don't get the results that we want. When we start talking about the fact that just simply a lack of moly and a lack of zinc can create a nitrogen deficiency, that's very interesting to me. And it's not just put on more nitrogen, it's just do the right things. And here we are again with another micronutrient feeding another soil bug. When we get the soil bugs right, we just keep coming up with more and more of those. And it's important that we figure out what ones go together and how to tie those together and how to do the right thing. If we do the right thing by our soil, it will do the right thing by us. Coming out of the fertilizer handbook from the Fertilizer Institute, iron deficiencies reduce yields, and especially on the calcareous soils in the western U.S. Only a small fraction of the total iron in the soils is available to the plants, and it will decrease as the pH increases. Iron deficiencies in crops generally appear as a yellowing of the intervenal portion of the leaves, and it's a condition called iron chlorosis. The leaves of your iron deficient plants will be pale green, yellow, and may even appear white, and that's what we typically tend to see when it gets bad. Iron chlorosis is corrected mainly by a foliar spray. Several sprays may be needed for severe chlorosis, and growers have found that the synthetic chelates are more effective than like ferrous sulfate as a foliar spray. These guys know that using the chelated iron is your best way to overcome that and to fix it. Going into the Western Handbook, just one more time, want to talk about what we see in the deficiencies. Number one, it's the chlorosis in the youngest leaves, okay? That's one of the things that's going to be different is that iron tends to show up in the youngest leaves, which would actually be more like manganese than it would like magnesium. Magnesium is in the older leaves. The points and the margins keep their leaf, their green color the longest and the affected leaves curl upward. They cup, in other words. So you get some cupping and that change in color. Probably need to take a look at what you have going on there from the standpoint of iron. Iron also draws energy to the leaf by absorbing heat. And obviously, the darker we make the leaf, the more energy we absorb and the more things that happen within that plant in a faster fashion. And we want to go ahead and hit that. I'm very excited. I've got into some of these um, Albrecht's paper, the Albrecht papers, and today I'm going to be working out of two and three. Just a short, brief thing in here on iron that I want to share with you. Iron shortage is one of those recognized earliest in history in the chloritic leaf pattern and the yellow to white development of the intervenal tissues of the leaf. The vascular system may remain green for a while. Intervenal striping of cereals may precede the complete bleaching. Guys, when it turns white, we're not gathering the photosynthesis. We're not getting results like we want. Iron is an important nutrient. And yeah, a lot of us have too much of it, and, but a lot of us are hurting, and we don't know what we got to do to fix it. Heavy liming and the consequent reduction in the degree of soil acidity are bringing on deficiencies of manganese and iron. Boron and iron are demobilized when the acidity of the soil is much reduced. Guys, I've talked to some people and I appreciate them very much. And they've been religious in putting on lime and that's important to have the right amount of calcium. However, we get to a point where it's too much and all of a sudden it's working against us like anything else. If we have too much, it is going to work against us every single time. Looking here from Don Schriefer, as we see what his comments were on this. And I, guys, I do a lot of this. A lot of it is repetitive. Why? Because A, we want to drive it home. And B, when all these people come up with the same conclusion, and all these guys were guys who were out in the field over and over and over again, spending days, hours, months of their life studying these things. 
And so we want to make sure that we're listening to the, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Anaerobic soil organisms also take their oxygen from certain iron compounds. Here we are, iron feeding anaerobic soil organisms. We refer to their end product as a form of reduced iron. Reduced iron can cause several reactions because many plants tend to overfeed on it. Excessive iron intake can darken and plug the nodes of corn. This plugging of the nutrient channels progressively slows the upward movement of nutrients into the plant. So we can have not enough iron and that's bad. We can have too much iron. We get too much iron in the plant. Now the plant's not healthy. We plug it up and it won't be able to get the nutrients that it needs, especially during the ear fill stage. Progressive plugging of the corn nodes causes the plant to age prematurely and die. The inner nodes will remain high in moisture and sugars and high in moisture and in sugars, inviting the invasion of soil fungi and stock rot. The interior of a healthy maturing corn stalk will not backlog water or sugars. It will have the appearance of being filled like with dry styrofoam. Guys, node plugging and stock rot reflect a breakdown of the soil plant relationship. And so not only can we have not enough, we can have too much. And when we have too much, it's always going to come against us and cost us money. Jumping on back here to another observation that he made. Iron deficiency occurs mostly on calcareous alkaline soils, those with a pH at 7.5 or above. These soils may be high in sodium or extremely high in potassium, calcium, and or magnesium. As with a manganese, the iron deficiency will most likely occur during the very early growth under cold and wet conditions. Excessive phosphate applications can trigger an iron deficiency, especially in acid soils. Too much phosphate, guys, is working against us. Iron management, as with manganese management, is greatly influenced by soil temperature and root development. A large root system is your best insurance against deficiency. Guys, anything that we can do to drive roots is our friend. It's always going to be better to do that. It adds organic matter, it gets more moisture, it gets more nutrients. Soil temperatures also directly relate to root growth, making iron management as well as manganese management absolutely necessary during those critical early growth periods. Iron management is most effective as a foliar application because it assures instant utilization. And the fact of the matter is, even when we apply dry bands of some kind of iron, they may not be utilized when they are needed due to the cold and wet soil conditions. They really push this. Iron chelates are available and very effective as foliar sprays to correct the iron deficiencies. Over and over and over again, guys, they talk about foliar feeding chelated iron. That's how we're going to get where we want to go with this and get that level where we need it to be trying to figure out how to make more money and get things to go faster. And so as we look at those Albrecht papers, there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm very excited about the other new book that I had that we're coming in with. And guys, if you can get these, Karen's putting up links on them as to where we can go get them. And lastly, I want to talk out of hands-on agronomy, talking in, in our quest to figure out more things about iron. And we start looking at what Neil has to say about this. Iron availability starts to decrease between 6 and 7 pH, meaning trouble if there's barely enough iron. As the calcium is raised, the iron level decreases. We just keep coming back to that pH thing and knowing how important it is to get it right. Be very careful with calcium levels. The day you get calcium up to 85% base saturation, 90% of the available iron will become complex and locked up as in a vault. With a base saturation below 80%, greater nutrient availability is a measurable result. 
Guys, I want to stress this. We don't really want to cross 80% on a base saturation rate of calcium. I got a lot of guys think they're shooting for 85, but I don't think that's what we want to do. We just want to make sure that we're getting the right amounts of the right products at the right time. And that's how it is that we're going to change the game and make more money. We're not going to do it with the over-application of one nutrient. We've studied that over and over and over, and I just want to keep driving that deal home. There's not a one-nutrient fix. Iron is something to be especially concerned about in high-calcium soils. It is necessary for chlorophyll formation and electron transport in the enzyme systems. Some sensitive crops and their deficiencies are grain sorghum, citrus, and soybeans. Guys, your milo and your soybeans are really sensitive to this iron thing. The soybean crop is the most likely to exhibit iron chlorosis, and it is possible to have a crop suffering from iron chlorosis without the familiar yellowing showing up. Guys, this can be a hidden hunger. Again, visual symptoms probably cost you 15 bushel to the acre. We don't want to let them get to that point. And one more person saying iron chelates can be used as soil amendments or in a foliar application, but they do only take care of the problem for a year. On these high pH soils, guys, it's going to lock up and we're going to have to fix this. We farm around it. We don't fix it. We just fix it for the growing season. We farm around it and make it work better. As for deficiencies, it will depend on more than just your iron level because iron and manganese work together. And guys, let me say this side note I wrote down in here. I need to drive something home. There are different labs with different extraction methods. Those numbers are true to that lab, and they make decisions based on those numbers. This particular lab that he's talking about, they were looking for a, a test somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 parts per million or maybe even 200 parts per million. With the method that Midwest Labs, I'm looking here at the table of ratings, they're saying that our iron levels are high once we get above 25 parts per million. And that doesn't mean we can't farm around it, because here on our own farm, I've got the soil test laying right here, and our iron level here on this cornfield right across the road from us is 46 parts per million, which is very high. It's excessive and it's hurting us. And in relationship to my manganese, which is way low, that's a bad combination. And that's what they're saying here. Iron and manganese work together. Again, he says he'd like to see iron at 200 plus. We're looking more like 20. I think that has to do with the lab. If the manganese is greater than the iron, that is going to be trouble. We need to have iron about 1.5 greater than manganese. The problem with that is we can't change that ratio. So what happens here where my iron is so high and my manganese is so low? Real simple. We apply a lot of chelated manganese to the crop to get a decent growing corn crop out of it. It's one of the many things that we need to do. Guys, these micronutrients are not micro in importance. They're only micro in the amount that we put on. I want to stress that for you over and over and over again. Iron is something that is often overlooked. If you're fighting in a high pH, you probably are aware of it, but if not, you need to be looking at it. If you're farming where I'm at, you're probably trying to figure out, what am I going to do with all this extra iron that I have? And one of the answers is I'm going to have to really look hard at those manganese levels because it's everything together, working together. It's not a single nutrient fix. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We're going to be coming back soon here with day 10. We're going to talk about manganese next, and it's one of my favorite things to study, and we know a lot about that too. Guys, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a happy holiday. Where's your favorite Christmas sweater, guys? We really need to see some of those. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. We hope you're having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.